Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to ask you a question. I know there's quite a lot of musical people in the room um, or some people that maybe like music, even if you don't play music. But what do you think is more important in a good song? Is it the melody or is it the lyrics? I'm a lyrics guy. Oh, a lyrics guy at the back. Thanks, Hannah. It's got a really good beat. It's got a really big, got a good beat, good melody. It's hard, isn't it? I think it could be a bit of both. I know that there's definitely some, some good tunes out there with that, like you say, a really catchy beat. Um, but the words are just terrible, aren't they? They're unimaginative. Um, but on the flip side of that, there's some, there's some powerful, like, beautiful songs in terms of their lyrics, but maybe they're just set to a bit of a, a dull tune. Um, but for me, I, I'm with Hannah. I love a song with good lyrics. Um, I think they can be really, they can tell a story, can't they? The song, song lyrics, they can be really powerful, they can be really emotional, um, they express, and they help us to express um, how we feel. Um, and I am one of those people that loves to sing very loud, even though I cannot sing at all. Um, and in my teen years, I was one of those uh, teenage girls who spent a lot of time in my bedroom with my hairbrush. Uh, and probably my iPod shuffle back in the days, um, and I'd be dramatically cry-singing some love ballad um, over some boy that I had a crush on. Um, that was how I expressed my emotions uh, as a 13-year-old. As a I used these songs to, to, to help me, and, and I'm hoping I'm not the only one, but uh, why, why do we do this? Why, why do we use songs? Why, do songs? why can we use songs in this way? Um, and I think songs can be a very powerful medium for us to, to express those emotions, to let it out. Um, and we use songs to do this. And sometimes they are a better way for us to express ourselves than any words that we could come up with um, ourselves. Um, and another thing that I used to do uh, when I was a teenager, um, some of you might do it now, um, no judging, but I would often take lyrics from songs and post it as my Facebook status. I don't know if anyone ever did that. Um, <laughs> So I was like, I've definitely done this. I can go back and find some examples. And I was shocked and embarrassed about how many times. Um, this is like June 20, 2009. This is going back quite far. I, these are all song lyrics uh, expressing my frustration at my friends. Um, just, you know, how much I fancied some boy. Um, and this is how I communicated. Um, when, I, when I couldn't use the words myself, when I couldn't talk to someone, I used songs to help me express this. Um, and I'm, I'm very embarrassed by these, but please don't hold it against me. And maybe some of you do that now, and I think that's a great, great thing to do. Um, but yeah, songs can help us to express ourselves better than our own words sometimes. Um, and the Psalms is uh, a book in the Bible that's essentially a collection of 150 songs, prayers, poems, um, and we can turn to them and they will help us to express our own feelings and our own emotions. Um, and the Psalms really have got it all. There's joy, there's thanksgiving, there's praise, there's sadness, there's frustration, there's grief, it's all in there. Um, and obviously, as James says, we're not going to be able to make it through all 150 this summer, um, but we're doing them across CCM, so do check out the podcasts, because um, there'll be a variety of ones on there, and maybe there's one that speaks to your situation. 
But today, um, I want to talk to us um, about Psalm 6. Um, and before we get into it, I should give you a bit of a warning, a bit of a disclaimer. I'm not going to do one of the joyful Thanksgiving praise psalms. Um, sorry about that. Um, psalm 6 is a deeply sad psalm. Um, we'll probably call it a psalm of lament. Um, it has that, that sorrow, that grief, that regret, all bound up in this, in this poem, in this prayer of Psalm 6. And Psalm 6 itself, it's attributed to, to King David. Um, and we read about King David elsewhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament. We know that he is a man who lived uh, an incredibly eventful life. Um, he was a man of great faith. Um, but he also had um, a lot of mistakes in his life as well. Um, and this is his psalm. Uh, and as we read it, we're going to see that David is in deep distress. He's expressing great pain for his situation. He's clearly overwhelmed and he's facing attack by people around him. But he also has this great burden, um, he feels, of his own mistakes in, his own, in all this. Um, so I'm just going to read um, the beginning of Psalm, Psalm 6 out for us now. If you want to join with me, if you've got a Bible or a phone, um, but I think it should be behind me as well. So Psalm 6. Um, and we know that this would probably have been sung out because at the beginning it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments. So imagine this being sung. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, or Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. As I say, it's not a cheerful psalm. David is in anguish. He's in a valley. Life is suffocating him. Apparently because of this interpersonal strife, his very soul is in agony. But he's also physically suffering. His bones is getting him down, get, getting to him down to his very bones. We are giving a picture of David alone on his bed, weeping like a child. His life is in meltdown. And it's a song of, of raw emotions. David is languishing. And I, I don't know if you know this word, languishing. I love it. I think it's a really uh, a good way to describe um, just all of that emotion, and it means to, to be becoming weak or losing vitality. Um, it's a bit like a, a plant that um, has got no nourishment, no sunlight, no water anymore, and it's just slowly wilting. David is languishing. Under the burden of his own sin and the sins committed against him, he is weak and he is exhausted. And I want to look at today what this psalm of, of great lament can teach us when we, when we feel this way, when we feel ourselves like we are languishing, we are weak. I think the first thing that we see in this psalm um, is that we need to be honest with God. I want you to, to bring a time uh, to your mind uh, as you sit here where, where you felt that uh, exhaustion, that weakness, that weariness uh, of life. Um, maybe you came to church, maybe you went to work, you saw, saw a friend and they said, hey, how are you doing, what's up? 
And you said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just a bit tired. Does that sound familiar? I know I say that an awful lot. Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm just, I'm just a bit tired. How did you feel after that interaction? Did you feel any different? I want to bet that you probably didn't. But now I want you to consider a time when you felt those same burdens. You're in that same place, and in response to a similar question, you actually said what really was going on, what was really on your heart, how you actually felt deep down. And what was the difference in how you felt then? Um, You might have heard me speak about this before, but I honestly uh, often do that thing where in community group, uh, on a Tuesday, we meet on a Tuesday, and people ask me if I've got anything I need prayer for, how am I doing, and I go, oh, I'm, I'm, I, oh yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, I, I really struggle to open up, to be vulnerable, to be honest with what I'm going through. Um, and a couple of months ago, I was sat with Nikki and with Georgia, um, and I actually just said, I am utterly struggling. I, uh, I'm in this place, I, um, I'm languishing, essentially. And um, we prayed together and we cried together. Um, and it was so powerful, the sense of relief when we express what we're really feeling inside. And I was thinking, why, why do we find that so difficult to do? And I think on a, uh, like, uh, often when it's with people um, where we have to open up and be honest, there's a couple of things that stop us from doing that. And I think uh, the reasons that come to my mind, the first one is they have bigger things to worry about than anything that's going on in my situation. They don't need my burden. I don't need to share that with them. Another thing that sometimes I think is, I just don't have that kind of relationship where I feel like I can tell them that. I can't be vulnerable with them. But the main one, I think, I'm not sure about you, that stops me from sharing what is going on, is I think, what is the point? They they cannot do anything about it anyway. Yeah, I'll tell them how I'm really sad, what situation I'm in, what I'm struggling with, but nothing is going to change. There's nothing they can do about it. But unlike when we are uh, expressing our emotions to other people, what we learn in Psalm 6 is when we are languishing, we should bring it all, all of ourselves, all of that emotion before God. Because unlike people, God welcomes us with open arms and invites us to bring it all to him. As raw and as messy as that might look like, he cares intimately about what's going on. Nothing is too small for him. He wants a relationship with you where you can be honest and you can be vulnerable. And he has the ability to change our situation. But I think sometimes when we are facing something and we feel like we cannot be open with God, it's because we feel like expressing our our real pain, our real anguish, might somehow offend God. Or maybe we're too ashamed to even come to God with it in total honesty. But I think what I forget, and I don't know if you forget it too, is that God already knows. God knows everything. Um, He knows it all anyway. There's nothing that is going to be a surprise for him. It's nothing too big or too ugly or distressing for God. He can handle it. And he invites us to bring it to him. I think another thing that we learn from from this psalm is not only just being honest with all of our feelings and our emotions before God, but is to be honest about our mistakes. When we read the opening lines of Psalm 6, 
It opens with, um, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am languishing. Essentially, what David's saying here is, Lord, I acknowledge that you have every right to be angry with me. I'm deserving of any consequences of my sin in this situation, but please be gracious to me. Show me mercy. We see David acknowledging that he's not completely blameless in whatever the situation is going on. He's made mistakes. He has turned away from God, and in some capacity he has sinned, and he is open about that. He's taking responsibility for his actions. And he is asking God for his forgiveness, for his grace to be shown towards him, that he would receive that grace instead of what he deserves. And in church, we often call this confession and repentance, that is admitting our mistakes and turning away from them and towards God instead. And this is not an easy thing for us to do. In our desire to avoid feeling that guilt, to avoid feeling that shame, um, I think we, we often skip this step or we miss it out. We might cry out to God with all our emotions. Maybe that's not the difficult bit. We can, we can come to God and we can shout out the raw pain that we have. But sometimes rather than confessing afterwards, instead we justify our failures. Maybe we say, well, I only did this because of that. The reason that I did that was because of X, Y, and Z. This situation, that situation. I only, I only, I only. Or maybe we quantify our sin. Um, I used to do this a lot with my brother. Um, Please, mum and dad, don't punish me. He deserves more because I didn't do it as bad as he did it. (laughs) Um, Or maybe even I could have done that, but I didn't. I only did this. I only went this far. I only went this far. Or maybe we're just in denial. We're not ready to let go of whatever that need that that sin fulfills. We're not ready to accept that it is a sin. We're not ready to, to let go of that. We're in denial. Or we might just even hide away. We can cry out to God in our emotions, but we, we are overwhelmed with that guilt and shame that we, we hide away what we've actually done. But our confession and our repentance, that turning away from sin, is the biggest step that we have to take. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, in 1 John 1, uh, it reads this. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sin separates us from that relationship with God. It needs to be dealt with. But the thing we have to remember is that there's nothing so big Nothing so bad, so selfish, so shameful that God hasn't already sorted out. He's already dealt with it. Sin separates us from a relationship with God, but he has provided a way for us to be restored, to be rescued back to him. And that is through his son, his only son, Jesus. Jesus lived an entirely sinless life. He didn't sin once. He made no mistakes. But he went to the cross and he took all the consequence of our sin on himself and he died in our place. 
Um, Paul in the book of Romans put it this way, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? Sin separates us from that relationship with God, but Jesus provides us a way back. The sin is dealt with, it's finished. All that we have to do is acknowledge it, confess, turn our back on it and accept the grace that God extends to us. Be honest with God in that and accept his invitation. So as well as being honest with our emotions, being honest with God, something that uh, struck me reading this psalm, Psalm 6, um, is that although David is very expressive in his pain, in his sorrow, he's not wallowing in it. And you, you might disagree with me when you first read it. Um, we hear all about the turmoil he is going through. But he's not only focused on himself and his circumstance. He is clearly focused on God. And I think that's, that's what we can do. We can reorientate our focus to God. When we are languishing and we pour out our honest emotions, there is a temptation to stay focused on all that we are dealing with. But when we look at Psalm 6, yes, he is expressing his deep sorrow. Yes, he is honest about his regret. Yes, he cries out for deliverance. But his reasons are not focused on what he will get out of God's forgiveness. He doesn't ask for forgiveness so that he would feel better or that the storm that he is in will pass. He doesn't use self-focused reasons to appeal, to cry out to God. If If we look at it, it says... Turn, O Lord, to deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there'll be no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you praise. He moves from his needs to God's own faithfulness. He appeals to God's own steadfast love. And this steadfast love, we see it in Exodus, it's described in this way. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is God's character. This is what David is crying out to God. I know that you are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and you are abounding in steadfast love. He appeals to God's own character, his own heart, that he would receive the praises of his people. He asks for God's forgiveness, not for his own sake, but that God would be glorified. And maybe the emotions expressing, being honest, we can do that. And when we get to that place, maybe we can, maybe we can confess what we've done. But how difficult is it to turn in the middle of a, a, a terrible, sorrowful situation and look at God and praise him for it? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was here on Sunday and I'd had... Um, I'd had a really bad week. I'd had some bad news. I was uh, wrestling with that. Um, I was in a lot of pain, and I was very confused and disorientated about what, what my life ahead was going to look like. Um, I had a lot of worries, um, and I was feeling very guilty in that as well. And I came to church, and everyone around us, um, I sat at the front, and everyone was singing, and I could not sing. Um, 
I was so enveloped in my own sorrow that I could not think at all to cry out and sing praises to God. It was just too hard. But in this psalm, David appeals to God's own own honour and praise, and, and he is profoundly reorientated in his soul. As he told God all of his sorrows, his focus has not, was no longer on his own distress. I am languishing. Heal me, my bones, my soul. And that's not wrong for him to do. He needs to acknowledge that first. He needs to accept that pain. That's where we start. But in our own... In, But in our own disorientation and confusion, we can only lift our eyes to God. And David lifts up his eyes to God, and we see that in the psalm. And when we we do that, we are reorientated upon the rock-solid foundation of God's love that we can trust for our deliverance. We turn from inwardly looking at ourselves and our situation and up to God instead. Um, and as, as I was uh, preparing this psalm, as I was going through it, um, I kept being called back to the fact that as, mu- as much as David uh, is lamenting and the guilt of his own sins, on top of that, um, he was growing weak because of all his enemies, as well as uh, everything that he had messed up. He was sim- simultaneously being sinned against himself, which was making the, com- the situation confusing. It was messy. It was painful. How does he unpick what was his fault? What was someone else's fault? What is going on? And I was thinking through, and I was, uh, I was thinking, we see the importance of our confession. We see the importance of repentance for wh- what we have done to restore that relationship back to God. But how does that change our lived experience when our broken world around us still leads to pain and to hurt? What is going to change from us crying out and accepting where we're wrong? And I was trying to think of a way that maybe we could think about this to explain this. Um, And just kind of full circle, as I did back at the beginning, I realised the best place to go when you can't express yourself very well is to look at the book of Psalms and let them do the expression for you. Um, And I I took this inspiration from Psalm 46, which I'll I'll read out to us in a minute. But um, I think when we are languishing, it's as if we are standing stranded in the middle of the ocean. In a storm, there is unknown darkness and depths beneath us. The rain is relentless. Wave after wave after wave is crashing all around us. And we're trying to stay afloat treading water, trying to swim to a place of safety. But we are growing weaker and we are growing weary. But when we confess and repent, that is our declaration that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't get out of this situation with our own efforts. We stop trying in our own strength and instead look to God and cry out for his mercy. And God hears our cries. Our acknowledgement and how we've turned away from him and in his mercy, he throws us a life raft. And we grasp onto it and we hold on to that. We're still in a storm. The rain is coming down. The waves still crashing. But we hold on to God. Rather than struggling, becoming weaker and trying to save ourselves, instead we can rest. We can be still 
and we can grasp onto the life raft that God has thrown us. Because we know that now our connection to God is restored. That life raft tethers us to firm ground, to a place of safety. And we have confidence when we have that, that we will make it through the storm. We won't get lost. We won't get overcome. And Psalm 46 describes it much better than I ever could. Um, It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge. He's our life raft. And when we look to him and we stop trying and we cry out for his help, we have an assurance of peace, of security, even if that storm continues. And that's expressed in the end of Psalm 6. I didn't read you the end of Psalm 6 yet. And after David has gone through all this honesty of his emotions, um, that recognition of sin, crying out to God for delivering, we suddenly see a complete change in the psalm. as a different tone. We see a confidence in David. And he declares this. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. He's gone from crying to confidence. Where in the beginning, David felt like a victim. He is now the victor. But where does this newly expressed confidence, where does that come from? We don't see anything outwardly changing in David's circumstance. He's got no new revelation from God. He hasn't whispered something about what he's going to do. The deliverance is still in the future. He's still in that circumstance. All my enemies shall be ashamed and they shall turn back. That chaos is still around him. So how does David get to that burst of confidence and how can we have confidence ourselves when we are languishing? And I think the answer is in the psalm itself. That act of prayer, the act of praying out in this way, we are rehearsing, we are repeating that truth of God's faithfulness, being deeply honest about our spiralling situation and reorientating ourselves towards God. It's a prayer that channels the grace and faith um, and the confidence that flows from that. Um, Our sanity is restored um, in the midst of all this disorientation, Um, through the very act of addressing God and remembering who he is and repeating what he has promised, we are reorientated to have confidence. And I think the only way that I I think that I could finish this um, is is to use this, use this prayer to pray this out for us. Um, I think there's quite a lot of us here that are feeling that sorrow, um, that regret, that, um, that weariness of the burden of our own sin. Um, and there's some of us who are just weak with the burden of those being committed against them as well. And we feel disorientated in the grief and we feel the hurt of the pain of our situations. Maybe you're here and you've never actually asked God for forgiveness before. You've never turned to him and confessed 
Um, and I want you to invite you, as I, as I read through this psalm, this is a great opportunity for you to do that. But I also want to, to read this for those of us who have cried out to God in the past, um, who are still in that storm. You're holding on to that life raft, but you are still in that storm. And like David, you are asking, Lord, how long? Um, I pray that this gives you that, um, that confidence um, to hold on, to trust in God's timing and his character, his steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, I'm going to read this for us. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled, my soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of my grief. It goes weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Amen.